0: All right, good morning, everyone. Today we continue our series on the household code texts of the scriptures, and we're going to take just a quick glance at Romans 13 to refresh our memories of the fundamental principles involved in Romans 13 uh, and in regard to a Christian in general and Lutheran in specific response to that. We will then move back into this handout that I had given out uh, last week, Dr. McPherson's handout, and we had worked through the first half of that where he talks about how Romans 13 has been read within the history of Lutheranism, and specifically he has for us this advice, how to avoid reading Romans 13 like a Nazi. So we won't review that, except maybe very briefly. But what we will jump into are the five levels of injustices and the response uh, given. We will wrap up our session, God willing, with a quick jaunt into the catechism to see what the catechism has to say about these things. And then that will more or less give us a foundation for understanding the Christian's attitude toward government or the left-hand kingdom. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open up or turn it on to Romans chapter 13. We do have some Bibles up here in the corners. Um, We do have some small catechisms as well, if you'd like to read along when we get to that section. If you are missing the handout, you're likely to find some extra copies of it floating around. Uh, Just at least the second part of the handout, The Five Levels of Injustice. So again, we have already done our in-depth study of Romans 13. So we're going to review and just hit the high points very quickly Romans 13 1 Paul writes let every person be subject to the governing authorities and we note their authorities exousias is the Greek that's used and that's the exact language that our Lord Jesus uses when he says all authority exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to me we talked about why that is so novel and remarkable The one hand we think, well, didn't the Son of God always have this? And, well, fair enough. But not the Word become flesh. When Christ ascends to the heavenly throne at his ascension, and you can see this depicted very vividly in Revelation 12, for the first time in the entire history of the heavens and the earth, a man sits on the throne of God. That's the difference. And so a man rules over the heavenly sphere and the earthly sphere. A man is the king of angels and the king of men. Our Christmas hymnody is so beautiful, it's astonishing at first until you really logic it out when he's simply called the king of angels, this enfleshed man, this human being. But indeed he is. So... All exousia, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, says Christ, who is true God and true man. So man is seated above all. And thus we know that all authority is derived from his authority. So that's going to be authority in what we And we introduced these concepts last week and what we think of as the right hand kingdom, the authority of his kingdom on earth, the preaching of the gospel and administration of the sacraments and also what we call the left hand kingdom or his authority um, as described in Romans 13 to keep civil order. Thus, for a Christian, what is our attitude toward authority in general, political authority in general? Well, it's positive. We recognize on the one hand that Christ is our true king and he reigns. And boy, isn't that a wonderful comfort as a 21st century American where you look at our leaders across the board, and pardon me, I don't mean this insulting necessarily, we often have the thought, can't we do better? Isn't there someone, anyone who could better represent us, unify us, and lead us forward. The comfort we have is that we already have that person in Christ Jesus, who truly, concretely reigns from heaven over heaven and earth. And he is the ultimate and final authority. In this sense, all other magistrates are lesser magistrates. All other Forms of government are lesser forms of government and temporary earthly forms of government. His government is from everlasting. And we can see that his one government, his, okay, you'll have to pardon the expression, I know it puts a bad taste in your mouth at first, but his one world order is coming. All the nations are under him and will be manifestly under him and we will have one king and we will be one people. You can see then the anti-type of this in a kind of earthly one world government. Not with Christ as its head, but with the elite rich as multitudinous heads but the head of this supposed one world government. And the, uh, the desire for man to unite as one is as ancient as the book of Genesis and virtually the dawn of the fallen history going all the way back to the Tower of Babel where humanity is united together trying to storm the gates of heaven via their giant ziggurat or power into heaven that they can sit enthroned between the heavens and the earth, whoever this human ruler or ruling class would be. You can see too that God doesn't take kindly to this sort of thing thus he scatters them abroad confusing their languages and so today we can see this same impulse to this desire to bring humanity into one under fallen human rule and we can see it more acutely as a kind of antithesis to the true one world rule of Christ Christ ruling over all the nations so that will help us then see things more clearly our because Christ reigns because Christ has all authority then earthly authorities that are underneath him are also in service to him And that's why we as Christians are admonished to be subject to them with some limitation. That's the foundation of what St. Paul has given us here in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing exousias, authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, now note the difference, our contest. Now we're talking about specific individuals. And we covered this last week, and we covered the way that Luther translated this, and how this indeed has been translated or understood as such by church fathers all the way through that the rulers refers to the men, the individuals sitting within the authority structures. So authority itself is good, and offices of authority or government are good in and of themselves, but one can be seated in that office who is bad, who is corrupt. And of course, we'll talk about that at some length momentarily. So, rulers, those who sit in the authorities, the offices of authority, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now, what if this is not the case? What if this Divine ordering is broken, and you in fact have rulers, individuals, occupying the authorities, the places or seats of authority, who in fact are a terror to good conduct and reward bad. Now you have a corruption. And we can we can imagine any number of degrees of that corruption, from incidental, minor things, all the way to major things and that span that breadth is what we're going to look at when we turn to the McPherson handout let's leave that be as, uh, as it is for now simply we see that Paul's statement rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad and we recognize the reality that in a fallen world the individuals seated within these offices of authority sometimes reverse this Paul's assumption is that they are conducting their office rightly. Then he asks semi-rhetorically, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's diakonos servant. And there is the fear and reverence of the civil authorities within the Christian tradition in general and the Lutheran tradition in specific. Even when we identify a man who is corrupt and abusive within authority, resistance is done with a sense of humility and a sense of awe and uh, caution because we recognize that the office itself belongs to God and we do not want to find ourselves opposing God if we have to oppose order um, or a given fallenness inherent in that order. All right, Paul continues, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. <clears throat> and of course, we talked about God then authorizing the government to use lethal force. That's what a sword is for. Paul continues, for he is the servant of God. We have it again, uh, the diakonos of God. The avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You can see another assumption in Paul that if government is functioning the way it's supposed to, then the wrath of God is executed through the government. But if the government is executing a wrath that is contrary to that of God, we can obviously see a corruption. Okay, verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers. Now the word changes to liturgoi, which is from which we get the word liturgy. They're still servants or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Here's where you can see right-hand and left-hand kingdom all as part and parcel of the cosmic liturgy over which God presides. Both kingdoms serving him Uh, in accordance with the duties he has set forth. Thus, verse 7, we talked about how this is fairly general. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And even though there is a paragraph break here in your English Standard Version there need not necessarily be the thought which follows does indeed follow owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law and Paul goes on to explain then the general conduct of Christian life in accordance with God's law in accordance with the way of love And that includes um, setting ourselves under the authorities of government. So Luther, in his large catechism, as we mentioned, puts this under the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother, that all authority flows from father out into the two kingdoms. And so in in this commandment, God requires us to uh, honor those authorities as well. Luther says we have natural fathers We have fathers in the state, and we have fathers in the church. And to all of these fathers we owe honor and obedience, unless they are individually subverting the very duties of the office that they have been given. All right, so of course, um, in terms of foundational principles, we are here instructed to obey man, but if man is doing something, is commanding something that God forbids or forbidding something that God commands, then Acts chapter 5, verse 29, I think it is, applies. And that is that we must obey God and not man. So in other words, we submit ourselves to men in reverence for God. To submit ourselves to men is submit, to submit ourselves to God ultimately in this sense. And yet if those men Betray the will of God, then we must obey God and not man. Makes sense. All right. Hopefully, clear and clean as day. And I will just add anecdotally that the off that the two different kingdoms and the two different authorities are there to check each other. The if all authority and and let me put it in in this language first. Okay, so. If the kingdom of the left is acting tyrannical and contrary to God, the kingdom of the right has every call, reason, and ability and freedom to say, hey, conduct yourself rightly. Conduct yourself in accordance with God's will. Vice versa, if the kingdom of the right is corrupt and wicked and doing things antithetical to God, the kingdom of the left, the governing authorities, have every right to say, hey, knock it off, or face due justice, due punishment. So, for example, the you know, terrible sexual corruption of the Roman communion the left-hand kingdom has every reason and every, uh, all authority to simply reach in and conduct and execute justice. And it should. So there's a checks and a balances if you will in the t- in the design of the two kingdoms. And then of course ultimately the authority resides with the head of the household because that's from which all authority derives. And so you know i don't want to make too much of this but in a sense the in a sense that the head of the household it is his role to judge for his jurisdiction namely his household and to keep his household as he is directly responsible to god in line or out of line with the church and the state depending upon how the church and the state are conducting themselves if in accordance with god's will then in accordance with that you see but it is incumbent upon the father to say hey no we're not doing that and it is incumbent upon the father to guard and protect his family even over and against a corrupted church or a corrupted state now if you want the biblical treatment of a corrupted church and a corrupted state it goes much further than this little paragraph about government operating ideally here in Romans 13, and that will take you to the book of Revelation, Romans 13, and virtually an entire chapter and several other chapters after that describing the nature of a corrupted and tyrannical uh, religious system, the church included, and a corrupted and tyrannical state system, and what the Christian response is over and against these corrupted entities. Let me pause there, see if you have any reflections on um, what's, what I've said heretofore. Hopefully I've spoken clearly enough, and if I haven't, please feel free to offer an amendment. Um, we're all working through these things. Uh, in many respects, we had forgotten them here in America until recently, when the government intruded upon our duties as Christians. We've had to revisit these things and... Clarify in our own minds what the Bible has always taught. So, any thoughts that you have?
1: So, let me just ask two questions. Is the authority an authority when he's acting contrary to the duties of that authority? So, when uh, the government is saying, no, you don't get to have church on Easter. Are they acting, are they an authority at that point? Or are they not an authority? Because the actual authority does only good.
0: Yeah, and and so there it is semantic to some degree. The closest thing we have biblically to that is Jesus warning about the Pharisees who do sit in the seat of Moses. And he says, listen to them, but don't do as they do. Which most have taken in the... In the exegesis of the church, most have taken to mean honor and respect the office, even if a wicked man holds it, and insofar as he holds it rightly, but insofar as he holds or conducts himself or commands you to conduct yourself contrary to it, resist, disobey, ignore.
1: So so in those cases he doesn't the individual who holds that office isn't really an authority, is that right?
0: Well, again, I think it's, it's semantic. In a sense, he is because he holds the office. But in the sense that he's conducting himself apart from that office, right there, you would say those actions and conduct are not of the office.
1: Okay. Now, this is a slightly different question. Okay. But you could think of ruling as an art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? You know, There's a, there's a, a method to ruling. Yes, and you can right. do it well or you can do it poorly. Right. So now when someone is ruling poorly... Are they, in fact, a ruler at that point? When someone, you know, just like we might say, you know, the, the zookeeper that puts the fish in a terrarium isn't really acting as a zookeeper at that point. He's not
0: he'll probably keeping be, the
1: zoo properly. He'll
0: probably be fired, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So the equivalent needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think the, the important aspect there would be defining poorly, and that's what we're going to do here in a minute. Because no one conducts any of their vocations as he or she ought. Right? And that's going to extend to uh, those who are in offices of authority in the church and those who are in offices of authority in the state. That's so why, you know, the, the second the church doesn't have coffee because we ran out and didn't realize it till Saturday night... You don't get to say, well, the pastor's ultimately responsible for this, and he's derelict in his duties, so I'm out of here. You know? And, and we, any reasonable person would say, what's that? You know, Okay, the same thing is true when we say, well, this person is, is from a different political party. I think that what he said in his speech was offensive. Therefore, I don't have to listen to anything he says. Uh, that would be the same kind of gross exaggeration and abuse of, of sin and our fallenness. So again, the detail that's all important is what does it mean to, to execute one's office poorly? And that's exactly what this handout is going to attempt to articulate is the different levels of response that we might have to different levels of one conducting himself in office poorly. One second.
2: Oh, do I have to use this? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, quick question. Does God ever bless nations with just good rulers and show judgment on nations by giving them bad, corrupt rulers? For instance, Saul, when the nation of Israel was like, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. And he said, no, I am your king. And they said, no, we want a king. We want to be like them. And
0: he gave them a bad king, Saul. Yeah. So does that happen, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, and Saul's h- hiding in the baggage, hiding among the baggage because he doesn't want to be installed. He kind of knows what's up. Saul's a tragic case because he kind of already knows what's up and then slowly sinks into the mire that he probably could foresee. It's, it's true. Um, I think the real take-home for us now in the New Testament era is that we not look to political rulers as saviors. That's, we need to have Christ as our king. And in the in the way that it would be parallel is in the Old Testament, they didn't want Yahweh as king, they wanted a human king so they could be like other nations. The rough translation of that into the New Testament period would be, don't put your trust in Princes don't look at politics to be the way in which we're quote unquote saved. It's Christ alone. The others are just his ministers. Right. So, and then to answer your more broad question, yes, that's exactly right. So, God does in fact bless nations uh, with rulers, even even not explicitly Christian rulers, but rulers that rule in accord with. Um, general revelation or the law of God written upon their hearts. So they simply operate according to this natural law. And of course they're going to fall short. Everybody does. But they do so enough that God says, "Here are here is a human being and here is a nation who are trying and attempting to be just. That's an entirely different category than what we see going on in our nation. I mean, I don't know that anyone very few people in our government are trying to be just and what we've fallen into is in opposing those who we are against we're willing to go to any lengths even if that means transgressing justice so the ends justify the means and all that is is corruption for the sake of justice which never pans out so when you have a corrupted state then God yeah sin is its own punishment so people who are debased, God gives over to a debased mind. People who are corrupt, God gives over to corruption. So in one sense, you look at corrupt government. You say, this is indicative of a turning away from God and an idolatry of the state. And now God's saying, really, you want the state instead of me? Have them. Enjoy. It's not pretty. Uh, that's a lot of what's going on. And then, yes, where you have nations that deal profoundly unjustly, unrighteously, out of step with the natural law, they do fall under God's condemnation. And uh, obviously history shows that, that no government lasts forever. Okay? Very good. So with Romans 13 then as our foundation, let's turn to the handout from Dr. McPherson. And again, as you can see on the top of this table, the Lutheran teaching concerning political resistance in the Magdeburg Confession of 1550, that has been published, uh, translated by Matthew Colvin. You can get this on Amazon, probably for the price of a tank of gas. And... (laughs) And it's well worth your time, but this is where this table derives from the principles found in this text. Well worth having, especially as we face uh, an uncertain future here in our country. So levels of injustice over on the left, level one, a, quote, not excessively atrocious, end quote, injustice. Now, this would be defined as when a ruler, as a result of natural weakness, falls into the occasional vice of misusing his office. All right. And as we've stated, we should expect this. We, we shouldn't expect a perfect president, a perfect governor. We shouldn't expect anyone who has authority to execute, execute that authority perfectly. That's asking too much of sinners in a fallen world. So what happens when you have a not excessively atrocious injustice, when there's a failing on the basis of natural weakness, and there's a kind of occasional vice of misusing the office or authority? If you go over to the right, the people should, underlined, quietly bear impatience. So... There are many things we simply need to overlook. Now, I think a lot of this, and and I, this will make sense to you in, intuitively, if you just think of the authority in, and the office of authority in the church, the pastoral office, you all graciously forgive me many things. And you understand like, oh, okay, well, here's something concerning enough. I probably should talk to him about it, right? I should express concern. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, the first time that I fail, you go, okay, that's it. Where's the next closest church? And that same attitude that you already have within you is simply to be imported over to our look at the left-hand kingdom and the authorities there. We want to be loving, assuming the best, trusting until proven otherwise. We want to have this good attitude so that when people fail and even if they're of a different political party, uh, we just bear it in patience. Somebody stumbles over their words. Somebody gives a bad speech. Somebody you know, gives in and is corrupted in one specific element. We want to bear this in patience. All right, now the lower magistrates, that is, those who are underneath them, the, them being the higher magistrates or the higher magistrate is easier to think about, um, are nonetheless over us. And we're going to see why this doctrine of the lower magistrates is important as we move along. Although I touched on it briefly last week. So the lower magistrates, while lesser magistrates may, and that's underlined, intervene by reminding the ruler of the, property, uh, the, of the proper limits of his office. All right? So the people quietly bear it in patience, those who have authority and are underneath him may or may not, according to their own wisdom, choose to remind the ruler of his, of the proper limits of his office. So I think, um, and it'd be interesting to hear those of you who are older and wiser and more experienced, but I think that there was... There has been some of, I don't know, maybe I should take it back. My, my initial thought was that, I, that I've lived through a period of time in our nation where this is predominantly what's going on. I don't know if that's true. Um, but that's that's my perception, and that may be a very wrong perception, naive on account of my youth, but it seems to me that I can remember a time in my life where it was like, okay, this party, that party, the pendulum swings back, the pendulum swings back, uh, we don't really love it. They don't really love us, but we're working together. We'd never really outright condemn one another. We'd certainly not call each other enemies of the state. We'd not use the rhetoric of civil war. We're not, you know. It seems to me that there was a time in America, not that far away, where the vast majority of injustices were going on, and responses were largely this level one. Maybe you're, if you've got a. A starkly different opinion. Um, please feel free to share it. Uh, educate me a little. I'm bound here by my own historical limitations. And naivete, probably. Alright, um, point two. Now we're going at an elevated level of injustice. Quote, atrocious and notorious injuries. When a ruler more systematically acts contrary to his oath and the laws we can also see how in a democratic republic uh, this is heightened for us because in a sense the voter is sovereign and the voter is the one who votes in and holds accountable the office bearers and so all of this is amplified and heightened for us in a way that it wasn't in 16th century germany atrocious and notorious injuries, systematic acts contrary to oath and laws. Then the people, and here is a quotation from the Magdeburg Confession, no one is compelled by the command of God to submit to the usurpation of his own right. Now, that's key because Romans 13 says that we must submit to the authority, now we say, wait a minute. The one who is in this office is acting contrary to that authority. Thus, no one is compelled by the command of God to submit to the usurpation of his own right. So here is a place where a Christian, or anyone, may stand and have ground to stand, retaining his own right given in accordance with the law, the oaths of the country, generally the Constitution, even though, I mean, that just takes on different forms depending upon the government. All right, how about the lower magistrates in this case? And lesser magistrates should feel at liberty to, quote, make the necessary defense, end quote, against the wayward ruler on behalf of the people right so it's heightened for the lesser magistrate now he still is at liberty um, but he is in fact at liberty to make the necessary defense against the wayward ruler on behalf of the people All right, and then kind of combining the two. Even so, Christian charity calls upon both the people and their lesser magistrates to consider bearing patiently. So even in this case, where you have a leader going against his oath and the laws, uh, you still consider bearing it patiently and the least possible levels of resistance that are necessary in order to ta- retain lawful right. So you're, what you're trying to do is use the least possible Necessary of force, right? That's kind of the principle in play here in terms of your resistance. Alright, how about level of justice number three. When quote-unquote forced to certain sin. When a lesser magistrate cannot comply with the dictates of the higher magistrate except by committing a sin against God... All right. Here in parens, the unstated assumption is that common people should rely on their local magistrates to discern the difference between levels two and three and to act for the people's benefit. So what you're having here is a a recognition that the government itself is failing and breaking down it's no longer leading in accord with the natural law or in the language of romans 13 it's no longer rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do evil and this becomes a systemic issue and thus it falls upon the shoulders of those who are in lower positions of authority to rectify this on behalf of the people that's the first principle. Now, we could add a bunch of biblical data in here where if someone commands you to sin, if a, go- if a government or an authority or a church authority or anyone commands you to sin, you ought to obey God and not man. So I think that that's a safe assumption here for us as people at level three, but the point is you've got a systemic issue and it needs to be dealt with in a systemic way. So now over to the column, the lower magistrates proper. Then the lesser magistrate not only may, but indeed now must resist. Because you have a structural issue and he's in that office, he, um, he's within that authority structure, he must resist. However, one should not rashly conclude that the injustice has progressed from level 2 2, level 3. So again, you can see this sense of humility and reticence and this desire to err on the sake of caution in regard to this movement from 2 to 3 and really diagnosing the situation as such. Just to finish out that column, one must instead seek, quote, an accurate and true judgment, end quote, lest premature resistance weaken rather than restore God's established secular order. So, you know, the idea of God has an, uh, we have an established order and you want to bring that order itself down to nothing. Now you've made a fundamental confusion from those who are abusing the office, they're the problem, they need to be remedied, to the office itself is the problem and the office needs to be brought down. That's a, that's a huge step and a step that is not permissible for Christians. That is, in all cases, in violation of Romans 13. We do not want to war against order or the particular order of a country in which we are born. We want to only react if the corruption extends to this level that we are forced to certain sin. All right, um, the fourth and final level, more than tyrannical. When a ruler persecutes not merely persons here and there, but systematically persecutes, quote, their right itself, end quote, and thereby, quote, persecutes God, the author of right in persons, end quote. Then the ruler has become, now quoting Luther, a bear wolf, uh, translated for us a werewolf, or at least that's what the word comes from, uh, someone who is no longer a man, But a man who has become a predator. And, quote, is a very devil himself, end quote. So, what is the key distinction? Uh, Not only forcing to sin, but taking the right, something fundamental to our human existence, away per se, which of course is going to include being forced to sin, but it's even more egregious than that. I mean, imagine something if you're you're a Christian, you're going to be locked up, or you're a Christian, you're going to um, be killed. That would be an example of something that is a a government that now is more than tyrannical. To specify the office bearers are more than tyrannical. Alright, again, you see here in the in this row or category, you see a combined response for the people and the lower magistrates. Not only the lesser magistrates, but also the people themselves must resist such an antichrist. And here too comes in, so at the head of the household level, what What comes into play is I have to, as a father, defend my family against this. That's the so it is defense of the neighbor that's the fundamental principle. Love for the neighbor, defense of the neighbor, that's the fundamental principle here. And thus you must resist. So, in the same way, if a criminal breaks in in the middle of the night and Dad's down in the refrigerator getting cookies and milk. And a guy breaks in and, you know, says, where's your wife and children? Oh, right upstairs, help yourself. I'm a man of peace. Turn the other cheek, that's what I always say. I'll be in here getting some cookies and milk. while well, you do as you will. Good father, bad father. Abject failure in his office to defend his- Yeah, abject failure, okay? So the same thing extends then when you have Any other kind of corruption that threatens the life and right of your children, you as the head of the household have a right and a responsibility to defend them. And that's the level at which we are if we're in a system that has become more than tyrannical. All right, what about Romans 13? Quote, when he begins to be a terror to good works and honor to evil, there is no longer in him, because he does thus the ordinance of God, but the ordinance of the devil. So just because it is the left-hand kingdom, and this is where we need to rearrange our mental thinking, because we have we have grown up with not the idea of of the two kingdoms but with the idea of separation of church and state which is entirely different and the idea of separation of church and state is hey, the government, the state is this neutral area and they can do as they will religion has nothing to say in that sphere of influence they are separate and that is simply in total error and could not be more wrong God has purview over both kingdoms and those who are in the offices of authority who rule not in accord with God's will ought to be gauged on the basis of these four levels of injustice or something like it. But ultimately, we have to recognize that there may come such corruption that he is no longer serving God in his office but serving Satan. And that's the office of the state. I mean, that right there will remove all your mental furniture and put in new, better furniture if you realize that the government is the purview of God and Satan is trying to sneak in there too. Just as the church is the purview of God and Satan is trying to sneak in. A false government on the one or a false government on the other, a false gospel on the one or a corrupted Uh, legal system a corrupted morality on the other um, a destruction of right etc so then we need to recognize that uh, God and the devil are at work in the left hand kingdom as well as the right okay so hopefully that gives us food for thought and a nuanced way of thinking about uh, the injustices Um, that we see in the left-hand kingdom and the ways that we can respond to that, indeed, in the ways in which, in some cases, we are duty-bound to respond to that as Christians um, while being perfectly obedient to and compliant with Romans 13. Any questions or comments? I see one in the back. I see several in the back.
2: I have a question about where... On this chart, and in God's rightly ordered world, the corruption lies in our cancel culture. Is that affecting the people? Because it looks like people have a more passive role in all of this. And in cancel culture, it seems like people are starting to take more authority into their own hands. And how does that play out? Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't—so, and again— someone can correct me if they if they think uh better on this but the way i tend to look at that is on the one hand the answer easy that's not government and so um, that's not what's in view what, what's in view here is maybe writing a social wrong or something like that but it's not strictly speaking a matter of government Now, it obviously gets more complicated as you start to ask, at what point in time is our government actually no longer our government, but we're being ruled by global companies through puppet states? Now, that's a different conversation, a more complex conversation. So there's a simple answer to that and a more complex answer to that. Um, But again, that would require much conversation. So it's the best I can do for you.
1: Please. Um, I take it that these levels of injustice and and our responses to them would also apply in the the kingdom on the right, is that correct? So in other words, uh, for example, I'm wondering, uh, did these kinds of thoughts, do you think, uh, affect Luther, for example, when he said the papacy is the antichrist? Yes. You think that's sort of what led him to this kind of thought, is that it would become so bad.
0: Yeah, and to illustrate how different the Lutheran view of the two kingdoms is than a separation between church and state, Luther was calling upon the civil authorities to come in and discipline and deconstruct the Roman hierarchy, which was, in effect, leading everyone to hell via a false gospel. So Luther sees no problem. Wielding the state against the church if the church is particularly what's become the bear wolf. And uh, he refers to that, I think, in his extended conversation there, um, not only of the leadership of the state, but also of the leadership of the church. Yeah. Because it's all, in Luther, it's all, and objectively, it's all centered in God and in his authority. It's these two different realms. It doesn't mean that they're separate from each other. And it doesn't mean that the dynamics by which they are um, to be thought are, are terribly different, right? So we, you know, we and the church have always retained that structure in the kingdom of the right, too, that if, uh, if there is dereliction of duty or corruption within the office uh, that gets to something parallel you know, to these levels, the man ought to be removed, uh, or otherwise disciplined in some way, shape, or form. And we still retain that structure even within our particular synod, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Yes, please.
2: Well, in looking at these levels of injustice, I can relate to number one, when I was growing up. I mean, it seemed like, yeah, there were people, like you said, who did things incorrectly, not with intensive malice. Mm. But It's so uh, malleable or it's so um, slippery between one and two. Mm -hmm. We're definitely at two, and I think we're headed into three. And it scares me, but I think the beginning was when everybody was trying to be so nice to uh, break up the family and church was no longer, you know, when I was growing up, not everybody was a very informed believer, but everybody that I knew of went to church.
0: Mm-hmm. There
2: was a pervasive idea of morality. Right. And, and we've kind of lost that.
0: Right. Now, and whether, we haven't, but. Right. And whether, I mean, this is where, like, were we ever a Christian or nation or not is like that debate is, is entirely beside the point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We were once upon a time a nation that much more clearly reflected the natural law right. than we are today. That's the, that's the way in which we've slid, indisputably.
2: And if you fight against it, you're going to be, you know, I assume that was the case in Nazi Germany. You fight against it and you're a dead duck.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And um, Luther in his large catechism will uh, talk about this in terms of... I lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. Happens when you get old, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we fighting against? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my point. Thank you so much. So, the, in, in the Fourth Commandment, Luther says that the, that the civil government is there for two reasons. And you can see how the two governments work together the, the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left. That civil government is there to rule by natural law. That's the law that God has written on every human heart so that every human being is without excuse. Romans 1 and 2 kind of stuff. That's how the government is to rule in a fallen world. And they are to rule thus in protection of the church so that the church can flourish and grow. When the government fails at these points, it's failing in its fundamental task that God has given it. Right? So that's a, that's a way to think of that more broadly, less specifically.
3: I, I guess the new guy gets the microphone here right. this morning, so good, that's that's going good, good. So uh, immediately, I've got to really digest this, mm-hmm. but it immediately strikes me as being a little bit naive. Maybe great for 16th century Germany. Mm. Um, there's a theory called broken window policing, where if you stop the, the you know f- stop the guy that breaks the window, then he won't commit the bigger crime down the road. And that's what I say because I heard it just a minute ago. That distance between levels one and three Mm -hmm. goes very, very quickly. It's hard to imagine a governor misusing his position only once on a road construction contract, only doing it one time. Mm -hmm. And then a lesser magistrate calls him out on it. We live in northern Virginia. Lesser people do not call out the hire people. Mm -hmm. It goes the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And so consequently then to go from one to two is much easier for that ruler while the people sit passively by and Mm -hmm. don't call them out on it. Mm -hmm. You know, number two, what comes to mind there, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would hear the government say, you cannot go to worship. Your churches must be closed because we have... What they consider to be a public health crisis, whether you believe that or not, the act of saying you cannot worship is is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But we went to that. We yeah. went to that point very quickly. Uh, number three. By the time we get to number three, number four is a given. We, we've given it up, unless because I've tried to work this out of my head over and over and over again. Unless we are willing to pull the trigger, literally pull the trigger on somebody because we believe our rights have been taken from us, number four is a given. It's, it's only a question of how far you want to get to four. So I feel like unless we speak up at number one, and let, for, to have the people sit quietly by and depend on our lesser magistrates, I, I believe in this day and age it is, is a pipe dream. Hmm. And we'll allow them to get away with that. Yeah, I appreciate for that's for.
0: I appreciate your perspective, and I, I don't think it's an unfriendly perspective uh, to, what, to what's been said here. I think you'd find lots of people in the room largely resonating. Um, again, the point at number one is natural weakness. That's the key. There's not malicious intent. There's not a systematic erosion. There's not a you know, breaking of, slow breaking of the ice. This is just accidental, right? Um, now, I would agree with you that uh, looking at things from where we are at in our society, it's, it's hard to imagine um, it not collapsing very fast. We've seen it collapse very, very fast. And we did indeed, um, you know, our church council had to weigh and assess these things when the government said, you can't be open on Sunday mornings. We said, wait a minute, I can't, Jesus calls his children to him and and the governor says, no, what are we going to do? Uh, that, That in and of itself very clearly goes to a level three. Now, up for some debate is, is that a foray into number three and then a retreat back into two? And this is where we as Christians need to have charitable but spirited debate, and that's fine. And within our own... Uh, stations in life our own particular context and the vocations that God's given us we have to conduct ourselves circumspectly and, and rightly so that's what's in view so anyway I think your comments i again I take sympathetically and I think um, basically a lot of people in this room would tend to agree with that uh, where, where the Lutherans would be critical of the use of force by the people is they would and, and in almost every case, you have this, where there actually is force, they don 't want a, a mob mentality uh, because what is that going to produce it 's not going to restore a right government it 's just going to produce a kind of anarchy or chaos um, in which maybe the the mightiest thrive and rise to the top, and you 're going to end up with a system every bit or more corrupt than before. So where, where there's a real holding back and a real clinging to the lesser magistrates is the idea that if it does come to physical force, it needs to be organized and set up for the sake of restoring order, right? Not creating new order or creating chaos. And, and that's, a, that's a kind of extreme position, obviously. Um, but that's what the Lutherans are thinking, Because they don't want to be opposing the order of God per se. They want to be restoring that order from which it's fallen. Which are two different mentalities. All right, I see we are um, actually two minutes over. As much as I would love to grab your comments, I wish I could include them. Uh, We're going to have to close it up here today. The Lord be with you.